0: Revelation 20, to progress further, we need to fully understand or better understand what Hades, Sheol, the Abyss, Gehenna, Hell, and the Lake of Fire are. And so that's what we're going to do today and trace them back through the Bible and see what they all mean. And then when we go into when Satan is released and the Great White Throne judgment and all these people are coming out from all these places, places of the dead, then we'll understand what's going on. So, I thought I'd just focus in on this one thing today, so we can get it down and understand what's going on. So basically, on the screen I have a chart, and there's two charts. One shows what happens before Jesus died and rose again, and the other chart, the next one I'll show, shows what happens after Jesus died and rose again. So I'll just pray first. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, thank you that Jesus went down into Hades after he died on the cross and into paradise, and he took all the captives captive. He was the conquering king, rescuing his people, taking them to heaven. And Lord, now when we die, we go straight to heaven. I thank you for all these wonderful truths and the promise that we have that when we die, we go to heaven and we'll understand why today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're living on the earth and then you die, well, your body goes into the grave. It's pretty simple. Your body just kind of carks it and that's it. So before the cross, all the righteous dead The spirit and soul were in paradise, a section of or compartment of Hades or Sheol. Hades is a Greek way of saying it, Sheol is a Hebrew way of saying it. The unbelieving were in another section of Hades or Sheol, and we call that torments because they were in torment. So, paradise because they were in paradise is a beautiful, comforting place to be, and torments because, as we'll find out, it wasn't a nice place to be. Hades or Sheol. It's the same place, but two compartments. Now, the next slide shows us what happened when Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for us, and then rose again. As you can see here, after Jesus resurrected, there's no more people in paradise. All those people, when Jesus resurrected, they also went to heaven. So basically now, if you're alive on the earth and then you die, your body still goes to the grave, it still goes into the earth. Not the middle of the earth, just buried and it rots. Now, if you're an unbeliever, your soul and spirit goes up to heaven to be in the presence of God, to be present with the Lord. But if you're an unbeliever, you still go down to Sheol or Hades to that place of torments where all the, or the other unbelieving dead, the unrighteous
1: dead are. That's basically
0: what I'm going to be talking about today. So, a couple of questions. Before Jesus died and rose again, where did all the believing saints go when they died? Paradise, which is where?
1: Under the ground, yeah, in the middle of the earth, basically. So,
0: in the center of the earth somewhere. It's down, alright? Uh, we'll go through that in a minute. Now, before Jesus died and rose again, where did the unbelievers go? Down
1: as well. Two, torments.
0: So, basically, you have one place where before the cross all the dead go but that one place is divided into two compartments and there's a great gulf that separates those two compartments one compartment is called paradise where the believing dead go and the other compartment is called we're going to call it torment for lack of another name because people who go there are in torment so it's all haze or sheol The other place in the middle of the earth is Tartarus or the bottomless pit, also called the abyss. So, where do people's soul and spirit go before Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, in the Old Testament, all people are described as going down to Sheol. So I've got some verses there to show that in the Old Testament, all the people are described as going down to Sheol whether they're righteous people or unrighteous people, okay? So whether unbelievers or believers. So Proverbs 1.12 says, Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, and whole like those who go down to the pit. So this is the Old Testament understanding of death. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 11 and 15, talking about Babylon it's talking about an evil nation and their whole army is being destroyed and taken down to Hades or Sheol. It says, Your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. Verse 15. Yet you should be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So, down. It's always down.
1: Now, you understand that for the evil people, the people who don't believe,
0: Isaiah 38:18 is godly king Hezekiah talking. And he says his prayer, For Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. So he's thinking he's going down as well, and he did. But back then they didn't have a full understanding of what goes on. And so we'll find out later how that changed when Jesus came. So it's clear throughout the Bible that Sheol and Hades and the abyss are all in the center of the earth. Another proof that it's in the center of the earth is Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And it describes an angel coming down from heaven to earth to unlock the bottomless pit. And in your notes, in your margin, your Bible, it might say, or should say, literally, the shaft of the abyss, the opening for the abyss. Okay, And smoke then rises out of this opening in the earth, and demons come out. So Revelation 9, 1 and 2, i read it to you. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall on from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit the shaft of the abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit. And smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So we're talking about the abyss here. The place of torment. Not for people, but for the demons. So, apart from heaven, you know, because we say that when you die, you go to heaven, The Bible uses several words to describe where people go when they die and where demons are locked up or chained up. So Sheol is the first one. I just want to talk about this one quickly. Sheol is the Hebrew word with the idea of the place of the dead. Now, it has no reference to either torment or happiness. It's just the grave. It's where you go when you die. And as we talked about before, and we'll find out later, It has two parts, two compartments. And the other word is Hades, and this is the Greek word used to describe the same thing. It just means the world beyond. So it's similar to the place of the dead. It's the Greek version of Sheol. So, what is hell? Well, hell is the lake of fire. When we talk about the place of the dead, where people go now, the unbelievers go now, and where the righteous dead went before the cross, we should call it Sheol or Hades because it's different to the lake of fire because the lake of fire is not a part of this earth. It's also called outer darkness and eternal torment and all those things and it's there forever. When God destroys the heavens and the earth, he will not destroy the lake of fire. That's already there. And that will continue. So, just to make sure that you understand this, Sheol and Hades both refer to the same place where? Down in the center of the earth. And prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, everyone's soul and spirit went down. And Lazarus and the rich man, when we get to Luke chapter 16, will illustrate that very nicely now the abyss revelation 9 1 speaks of the bottomless pit greek abysso and it's a prison for certain demons if you go to luke chapter 8 30 to 31 jesus is talking to a demon possessed man this is the guy who was breaking chains and running around the tombs and it says Jesus asked him, saying, now Jesus is talking to the man, but he's really talking to the demons, right? He's talking to a demon-possessed man. Saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Okay? The bottomless pit. The place where the demons are locked up. And of course, you know the story. They all got permission to go into the pigs, and the pigs ran down the hill into the water and drowned. So that's the abyss. Alright, it's not for people, it's for demons. it's in the middle of the earth. So basically you have a place for people and a place for demons. Now, Tartarus, this is only used once in the Bible and in 2 Peter 2, verse 4. It's very similar to the abyss. Maybe it's like a subsection of the abyss. And I think of it like God's maximum security prison, where the worst, the very worst, the most violent and the most vicious of all the fallen angels are kept in chains. Likely. If you look through the scriptures in the New Testament, these are likely the angels who had sexual relations with the women before and possibly after the time of the flood as described in Genesis 6, 1-4. And a couple of references there. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, now that hell there is literally Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So it's interesting that today, even though there's many demons around, you know, tormenting us and deceiving the world, there are some demons already chained up in darkness, awaiting judgment. And Jude 6, and this is why people think that these angels are the ones who had sexual relations with the women just before the flood and maybe just after. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Okay. So Tartarus is very similar to the Abyss and just probably another section where the really bad angels, demons, are kept under chain, under lock and
1: key. Now, we come to what is really hell
0: Gehenna, or the lake of fire. So, Gehenna is a Greek word borrowed from the Hebrew language. And Jesus speaks of hell, Gehenna, multiple times in Mark nine forty three to 48. So, here, as I read these verses, notice that it's an eternal place okay it's not a temporary place it's an eternal place so gehenna is the word that's been translated hell the other ones where it's hades it should be translated hades and not hell so mark 9:43 to 48 it says if your hand causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell gehenna into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet and be cast into hell. Gehenna again, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes, to be cast into hell fire. Again, Gehenna, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So what I want you to notice here is the Gehenna, the real hell, the lake of fire, is permanent. It is never quenched. Once you go there, you do not come out. So Gehenna, the lake of fire, hell, is permanent and eternal hades sheol the abyss Tartarus are all temporary places that will be destroyed when jesus destroys the existing heavens and earth and creates a new heavens and earth in revelation 2014 we find that hell gehenna the lake of fire is referred to as the second death we talked about this a bit last week so revelation 2014 then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Hades, Sheol, that place of the dead in the middle of the earth, was cast into the lake of fire. So, basically, what it means is everyone there was cast into the lake of fire. So, those were temporary places. Whereas, hell or Gehenna, the lake of fire, is the permanent prison.
1: I think of it like this. If you get done for a crime,
0: you'll get taken to the local lockup where you'll be charged and then you'll go before a judge and then you get taken to a prison, a real prison. Not just the local lockup, but a real prison.
1: So Haiti's
0: just a holding place. It's a temporary holding place. It's really interesting to find out where the word Gehenna or hell came from. So the word Gehenna is the Greek translation of the word Gehinon, meaning Valley of Hinnon, or Valley of the Sons of Hinnon, as it's called. It's also called Tophet. And it's a valley south of Jerusalem. And in this place, they built some altars to a god called Moloch and other gods as well. But Moloch was an awful god because to worship Moloch, you had to bring your child. Okay, so it's just like abortion today. You're murdering your children. An example, Second Chronicles 28, 1-3. This is the southern kingdom of Judah, right? This is in Jerusalem. And so the kings, the evil kings in Jerusalem were killing their kids on this altar to Moloch. So Second Chronicles twenty eight to 3 Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made moulded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his children in the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So again, this is in the valley of Hinnom, Moloch, murdering children. Jeremiah 7.31 And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnan, Hinnom, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. So God really hates this place. It's a place where the worst of the sins, in God's eyes, is committed, which is the burning of the sons and daughters. Now, later on, godly King Josiah, this is just before the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and took them all to Babylon. Godly King Josiah destroyed and defiled this altar for human sacrifice. So he defiled, he destroyed Moloch's, altar by destroying and then burning men's bones on it. So in the Jewish way of thinking once something has had human bones burnt on it it was defiled and you couldn't go there again. And that's found in Second 2 Kings 23.10. And he defiled Topheth which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Moloch. That's Second 2 Kings 23.10. And he defiled Topeth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Moloch. Now, years go by, 70 years in Babylon, and then the Jews return from Babylon. And Tophet or Gehenna, this valley of Hinnom, became a rubbish dump. And you know what they used to do? They lit a fire, and as they kept putting the rubbish onto the fire, it just kept burning and burning and burning. So, they had all these thousands of people living there, always putting their sewage, dead animals, you know, all the corpses of criminals and dead animals and refuse, all this rubbish was thrown into this place. So, basically, the Gehenna Valley, the valley of the son of Hinnom, Hinnom became a place of burning sewage, burning flesh, and garbage, rubbish. So maggots and worms crawled through the waste, and the smoke smelled strong and sickening. And you find that in Isaiah 30 verse 33. Place of constant burning, because there's always more rubbish being thrown onto this disgusting fire. It was a place utterly filthy, disgusting, and repulsive to the nose and eyes. And Gehenna, the valley of the son of Hinnom, represented such a vivid image of torment or presented such a vivid image of torment that Christ used it as a symbolic depiction of hell. A place of eternal torment and constant uncleanness where the fires never cease burning and the worms never stop crawling. So that's where that whole thing comes from, Gehenna. Why Jesus called hell Gehenna. Why Jesus called the lake of fire Gehenna. Because if you were living in Jerusalem, you would see the fire, you would smell the fire if you went up to it. You know, oh, that's a disgusting place. I don't want to go there. Again, I'll read a couple of those verses from Mark where Jesus is talking about hell or Gehenna, the lake of fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, Gehenna, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So that was literally true for Gehenna. So, the occupants of the lake of fire, Gehenna or hell, are separated from God for all eternity. They're separated from the presence of God's love. What they do experience is the presence of God's judgment. And remember that Hades or Sheol are different from hell. And hell is also called what?
1: The lake of fire or outer darkness. Okay.
0: So, what we know so far is that before Jesus died and resurrected, the soul and spirit of all people went to Hades or Sheol, depending on whether you read the Old Testament or New Testament. Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New but it was divided into two parts. So I've been saying that a lot today, but how do you know? Well, Jesus tells us this story, a true story. It's not a parable, it's a story, because Jesus uses names. He never uses names in a parable, but he does here. So this is a story, a true story, that Jesus is giving us to illustrate the point and to reveal to us knowledge of what happens when people die. So remember, Jesus is talking here, and it's before his resurrection. It's before his death and resurrection. So this represents Old Testament conditions, all right? So Luke sixteen nineteen to 31 says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So remember, Abraham's bosom is the same thing as Paradise. Abraham's bosom is the same thing as paradise. When we come to the thief on the cross next week, remember it's the same place. Verse 24, Then he cried out, the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, a great chasm. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So you can't go from one side to the other. Once you die, where you go is permanent. You cannot change. You cannot repent. You must make your choice while you're alive on this earth. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rise from the dead. And it's true. People don't listen. They ignore the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we talked about this before. Why do people not accept God's salvation? That one word, such as P, pride. We refuse to humble ourselves, we refuse to submit to God. Now, some questions here about what it's like when you die as an unbeliever. Because this doesn't change, whether it's before the cross or after. What was it like for the rich man? Was he conscious? Was he able to talk? Yeah. Could he feel pain? Was he able to think about people back home? Meaning, people who are still alive. And what were his thoughts? What were his concerns about those people? He knew that they were not saved. And he knew that if they didn't repent, they would come to this place of torment as well. And he knew that he was just awaiting judgment to go into the lake of fire. So he's really worried. So this is what it's going to be like for those people who are not saved when they die. They're going to go to this place of torment in the middle of the earth called Hades or Sheol. And they're going to be going, oh man, this is terrible. I do not want to be here. I don't want anyone to be here. It's not a party where your friends are going to be. Okay? Some people will say, oh, hell's a big party. where well, my friends are and we're looking for it. No, no. Lazarus said, look, I can't do anything about my situation, but please do something about my family. He still has compassion for his family. It's amazing. He's going to be regretting his life for all eternity. On the other hand, Lazarus, he was a believer, not because he suffered in his life, but because he put his faith in Jesus. Just because you're suffering this life doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. He put his faith in Jesus, right? He was in paradise, Abraham's bosom, and he was with Abraham, he was with David, he was with Noah, he, you know, he was with all those righteous Daniel. All those people from the Old Testament that we Joseph, you know, Joshua, Jonathan. It would have been a pretty cool place to be, all those people there, yeah.
1: But where are they now? Where are all the
0: believers from the Old Testament now? Yep, yeah, when Jesus resurrected, he took them all to heaven. Now, turning our attention to Jesus the Bible tells us that Jesus was in Hades after his death on the cross but did not and could not remain there because David predicted in Psalm 16 that he would be there but not stay there. Also Jesus' body would not completely decompose. He wouldn't see corruption but it would be raised. So this is Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 32, and it's Peter quoting King David in Psalm 16. For David says concerning him, Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad, moreover my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption? You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now, Peter goes on to interpret what this means. He says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Meaning is not resurrected, right? Therefore, being a prophet king david was a prophet did you realize that and knowing that god had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the christ to sit on his throne so jesus would be one of david's descendants he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the christ that is his soul jesus soul was not left in Hades, nor did Jesus' flesh see corruption. And Peter finishes in verse 32 in Acts chapter 2, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, next week we're going to the thief on the cross, and Jesus says to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. So, what compartment of Hades did Jesus go to? The torment side or the paradise side? The paradise side, yeah. Now why did Jesus go to Hades, Sheol, this place of the dead? There's two reasons. Firstly that he gave like a victory speech, I'm calling it a victory speech. The Bible doesn't say what he said. But I'm going to call it a victory speech to the angels chained up in the abyss and Tartarus. So by Jesus defeating Satan and all his hordes, on the cross, putting them to public shame, as Paul says. The fate of the fallen angels was sealed; they would all end up in
1: the where. The lake of fire.
0: In First Peter three nineteen to twenty, it says, He Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah and 2 Peter two four, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, Tartarus, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So, maybe this was the time when Jesus judged them. So, remember that Tartarus is similar to the abyss, a place where specific foreign angels are locked up. The abyss a bottomless pit is where Satan and all the other foreign angels will be locked up for the thousand years, and we went through why Satan would be locked up a couple of weeks ago, and that's Revelation 21 to 3. Now the second reason Jesus descended into Hades was to set the captives free. So back in the day, you know, when the king would go and defeat the enemy, he would take his prisoners captive, like his people. He would set them free and take them with him. And here Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus goes down into the paradise section or compartment of Hades and he frees his people. And you can read it, Ephesians 4 8 and 9, and it says, Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So again, more evidence that the dead do go into the lower parts of the earth. Before the cross, everyone did. After the cross, only the unbelievers. So what does it mean by led captivity captive? Well it's quite simple. The price has now been finally paid for the sins of all mankind. And the people who put their trust in the coming Messiah were now legally justified meaning that their sin debt or fine had actually been paid and they could now go to heaven. So all the believing dead in paradise were taken to heaven with Jesus. Paradise is now empty because the soul and spirit of all believers who now die go straight to heaven. Now, think of it this way. If I've committed a serious crime and I'm facing life in prison because I can't pay my fine, I don't have the money to pay my fine, then a very rich man who is completely trustworthy comes and office to pay my fine and I accept this payment on my behalf. But there's a catch. The rich man pays by check <laughs> and the check is dated to one month in the future. But the judge knows that the rich man is trustworthy and is good for the money. And that when that month is up, when the date written on the cheque is there, when it comes to that date, that money will be available. That cheque can be cashed. The money will be in the bank. So that judge doesn't put me in with the condemned prisoners. But rather, he puts me in a nice, comfortable part of the prison. Because he knows that I'm going to be set free. He knows that my debt will be paid. It's as good as paid because the person who's paying it is trustworthy and true. So I can, while I'm in this prison where I'm still captive, I can enjoy all kinds of comforts and privileges until the day comes when the check can be cashed and I can finally leave that prison. Make sense? So. When that date comes and they can cash a check, the fine is actually paid. It was promised to be paid, but while it was only promised, I had to stay in the building, but in a nice place in the building. And so that's what it was like for the Old Testament saints. Their sins were covered, but not forgiven. Their sin debt would not actually be paid in full until Jesus came and died for their sins. Remember what Jesus said when he died on the cross? He said, it is finished paid in full
1: so only after jesus
0: came and died for them could they actually go to heaven so the old testament saints were actually putting their trust in a coming messiah and hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 to 40 makes this clear so we read hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 to 40 It's talking about the old testament saints right and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something far better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And That's talking about they didn't get to
1: go to heaven before us.
0: They should not be made perfect apart from us. However, for us living in the church age, the price of our redemption has already been paid in full. We don't need to go to paradise in Hades. Rather, we go straight to heaven. How do I know? Well, Second Corinthians 5, 6-8, Paul says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Present with the Lord. So, it's on the earth, we are absent from the Lord, from his direct presence. When we die, we are in his direct presence. Remember, now we see as in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Paul again speaking, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, that is, his human body, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul says, I can't wait to go to heaven. I'm so sick of living down here. I'd much rather be in heaven. But there's fruit for my labor. I can win more souls for Christ, and that's worth it. That's his whole reason for staying on this earth. He doesn't want to stay on this earth. And frankly, I'm getting quite tired of it too. Not that I'm getting suicidal or anything, but <laughs> the more I'm studying the scriptures and the more I'm getting to know my Savior, I'm, I'd much rather be in heaven. I share his outlook there. Now, summary. The abyss, Tartarus, bottomless pit are where? Under us, yes, in the middle of the earth. Is the abyss, Tartarus, bottomless pit temporary or eternal? It's a temporary holding place for who? Demons. It's for the demons, the abyss. Lake of Fire is eternal. The abyss is temporary. The abyss is in the middle of the earth. Also called the bottomless pit, Tartarus. Temporary holding place for demons. Now, Hades, Sheol, Hades, the Greek way of saying it, Sheol, the Hebrew way of saying it in Hebrew language, is a place for where? For who?
1: At the moment, for the unrighteous dead only? Yep.
0: Temporary or permanent? Temporary, yep. Because... Revelation tells us that death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is hell, Gehenna. Okay. Where do all believers go now when they die? To Christ? To heaven. Their bodies as well? Where do their bodies go? As <laughs> to just dust to dust, yep. They just decompose on the earth, yeah. And so we're waiting for our resurrection body, as we learned last week. So, who is in Abraham's bosom or paradise right now? Nobody, because the fine has been paid, their sin debt has been paid, and there's no waiting anymore. Now, Gehenna is what we normally think of as what? Hell, and it's also called the lake of fire. In Revelation chapters 19 and 20 and 21. So other names used in the Bible for Gehenna or Hell include everlasting fire in Matthew 25, 41. And then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the lake of fire, who was it prepared for? Devil and his angels. It was not prepared for people god has made the way for everybody to be saved if they would only accept his gift of forgiveness if they would only humble themselves deal with their pride and be saved accept his gift of pardon so lake of fire is also called everlasting punishment it's a descriptive term and it gives us more understanding what this lake of fire is going to be like another word that jesus used to describe Gehenna or hell or the lake of fire is outer darkness. So this is not a place in the middle of the earth, this is out there. Matthew eight eleven to 12 and I tell you this that many gentiles will come from all over the world from east and west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven but many Israelis those for whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into out of darkness whether we weeping and gnashing of teeth so when jesus died on the cross he sealed the condemnation of the wicked and unbelieving remember he went and preached in hades and he completed the justification of those believers so remember the two parts, the two compartments in Hades or Sheol, paradise, in the Old Testament, where it was full of believing saints waiting for Jesus to die on the cross once he died on the cross, they went up. Paradise is now empty. We now go straight to heaven.
1: Now, I want to talk about some of the false beliefs
0: about the afterlife because the Old Testament. If you use the Old Testament only, you get some fuzzy ideas. You get some conflicting statements. And the reason is, is because not much had been revealed. I'll show you why in a minute. But I'm going to show you some of these Old Testament passages. So just three of them. One of the good ones is Job 19.25-26. He says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, and metaphorically speaking, his body, his flesh, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. That is his new body, right? He's going to get a new body. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. So Job is here expressing confidence in his body resurrection. Now we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. This is Solomon speaking, King Solomon. And he's got some questions and he's asking some questions here. And you see the limit of the knowledge that men had back then of the afterlife. And this is what he says For that which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. Even in the end, one thing befalls them both. As the one dies, so does the other. Yes. They all have one breath and spirit, so that a man has no preeminence over a beast, for all is vanity, emptiness, falsity, and futility. All go to one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knows the spirit of man, whether it goes upward, and the spirit of the beast, whether it goes downward to the earth? Question mark. He doesn't know. He's asking this. Solomon, with all his learning and wisdom, didn't know much about the afterlife. And you get this false doctrine called annihilationism from references like this. You just go to the earth and it's done. Who knows if your spirit goes up?
1: A lot of cults believe that.
0: And then you have Psalm 6 verses 4 and 5, David speaking. Return, O Lord, deliver me. O oh, save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Did David understand about Sheol and Hades? Did David know that Abraham was there in a place of comfort, in a place called paradise, Abraham's bosom? He didn't have a clue. He knew he was going to be resurrected one day, but he didn't know what was going to happen to him when he died. And so he's thinking, God, if I die, I won't be able to praise you anymore. Well, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to praise God in paradise. We'll still be conscious. We'll still be able to speak. We'll still be aware of our surroundings. We'll still be able to praise God. And so from verses like this, we get this false doctrine of soul sleep. And again, a lot of the cults believe in soul sleep. And soul sleep is the belief that when a person dies, they will have no more consciousness until they are resurrected. They'll just be sleeping. So basically, when the body resurrects, so do their soul and spirit. And so, soul sleep is a way of saying that the soul and spirit don't go on ahead to heaven or Hades. And this, again, is common among the cults. Now, why is the New Testament. So much better as far as giving us more information about the afterlife and what happens. Well, Second Timothy 1 verse 10 But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When you bring something to light, you're explaining it, you are making it clear, you are making it obvious and you are making it understandable. He has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what happens is that most people who teach wrong doctrines about the afterlife, like soul sleep and annihilationism, they base their arguments on Old Testament passages instead of the really clear passages, the accurate passages in the New Testament. And so they're forgetting, they're ignoring this revelation in 2 Timothy 1.10 but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. So not just through the Gospels, but also through the Apostles' teaching. So consider some of these verses. you got Mark 12.25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither married nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. We wouldn't have known that before Jesus came. John 3, 11-13 Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. Now, who's we? Jesus and the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Father and I, we speak what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. So Jesus is the one who can give us eyewitness testimony of what's going on outside of this physical world. Another example, John 14, 1-4. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. So more confidence for us, more understanding for us. So there's many other references throughout the epistles regarding where we go when we die, what our new bodies will be like, like Corinthians 15 about the resurrection body, the rewards and the crowns we can receive, as we talked about last week, the order of our resurrection, the first resurrection, and how it's spread out its in stages. The different judgments, the beamer seat judgment, all those things in Corinthians. Truly, Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.10 So Jesus is God who cannot lie, and he has given us these firm assurances of what is to come. So the future is very clear to us now in the New Testament. Now, here's an application. If the Old Testament saints could believe in salvation through a coming Messiah when they had so little to go on, Jesus had not resurrected from the dead. The Messiah had not even come. They didn't even know what his name was going to be. They didn't know hardly anything about the afterlife. All they had was some vague thing about a bodily resurrection. We, on the other hand, have the resurrection as being past tense. We have irrefutable evidence that the resurrection has already happened. We have all this detailed information about what exactly is going to happen when we die. We have it so much easier than the Old Testament saints. As Hebrew 12 says, I haven't written it down here, but it says something like, we have this cloud of witnesses and to press forward because we got all these people who have gone on before us and they had much less to go on than we do, but they had faith. So we need to have faith in what Jesus is saying and we need to be putting our faith in the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell and like the rich man in torments in Hades. If we really believe that this is true, we will have the same desire as an unsaved man, or even greater desire, to see people saved and not go to Hades and then be cast into hell. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've shown us, just trying to understand the different places of the dead the afterlife, where people go, what happens. And Lord, help us to be thankful that you have paid the price. Lord, that we don't go to paradise now. We don't have to wait for you to pay our price. The price is already paid. Jesus says, paid in full. It is finished, paid in full. Tell Lord, we just thank you that you paid our debt. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.